Hey everyone, Louis from Kick the Jukebox here. Just wanted to let you know that what you're listening to is the podcast version of Kick the Jukebox with shorter music clips. If you want to listen to the whole shebang, visit our show page at kpiss.fm. That's K-P-I-S-S dot F-M. Okay, thanks for listening, and bombs away! Kick the Jukebox is so much fun. Kyle and Louie are number one. Kick the Jukebox, kick it a rhyme. Talking about music all the time. Oh, yeah! Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Kick the Jute Box. I'm Louis Perlman, and I am joined by a very, very special guest today. He is a composer and a lyricist. He is known as uh, the writer of uh, Found the Musical. He also just wrote uh, Co-op, which was for the Documentary Now series on the IFC channel. Uh, He wrote all the music for that with John Mulaney and Seth Meyers, if I remember correctly. Uh, Welcome, my dear, dear friend, Eli Bolin. Hello. Hi, Louie. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for asking me to do this with you. Yeah, this is lovely. Uh, Welcome to the K-Piss RV. It's it's amazing. I wish that everyone listening... Oh, my God. Is that a raccoon? Yeah, there's a stuffed raccoon in here, a wow. taxidermy raccoon. It's a very Instagrammable oh, there's, RV. There's another animal over there. What is that? Um, there's some possums over there. Possums. It's a little terrifying oh, in here. but Yeah, and there's a Garfield clock. <laughs> there is. It's amazing in here. Um, yeah, we're in an actual RV in Bushwick, but it's also uh, a very, very comfortable yeah <laughs> it's it's air conditioned it's very nice in here i like it a lot good i'm glad you're here I'm, yeah i'm glad to be here yeah i feel like you know this is like a little trip into my world for you <laughs> yeah this feels like a place that you would spend time in yeah very much so you know it's very funny because you know i go and visit you out in new jersey and hang out with your kids mm-hmm. and your wa- and your wife yeah and uh you know go play in the park and i feel like that's very you right now and me right now is hanging out with a dead stuffed raccoon and like, <laughs> like old shag carpets. <laughs> no, you know, I feel I, I identify with this too. This doesn't feel out of out of my world. No, not at all. I mean, this is sort of where our two, where our tastes match up. Mm-hmm. I think. Uh, yeah, it's a definite crossover. So this is kick the jukebox where we talk about an album of the week. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're going to be talking about one of our favorite records. It's one of our favorite shared records. It's Nilsson Schmilson by the incomparable Harry Nilsson. We're going to be getting into that later on. Uh, just a reminder, if you like the podcast, subscribe on any podcatcher. If you uh, you know like it, please rate it five stars, write a little review, and you know that's all the stuff, and follow us on all the social medias, the Instagrams, the Facebooks, the Tumblers, <laughs> the Tumblers of the world. Yeah, and tell your friends, because it's a really great podcast. Yeah, you, you know, thanks for being such a longtime listener. I'm really happy to have you on. That's right. Yeah, for those of you who are wondering where Kyle is, He's doing an improv show. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, it's not nice. I do a lot of improv shows too. <laughs> yes, you do. And yeah, and Kyle's a really brilliant comedian, so he's allowed to do improv shows if he wants. Yes, he can. He can do whatever he wants. He can. He has agency. Yeah, he's my beautiful grown son, so That's right. I let him do what he what he wants he's now. He's pretty young, right? Uh, yeah, he's seven. That's right. Yeah, he's a seven-year-old. No, he's like in his mid-twenties. Yeah, that's to me, that's young. Yeah, remember when we were in our mid-twenties? Not, not very well. I know, I don't remember very well either, but I remember it being nice. I think so. I remember going to your birthday party right when I met you and we listened to a lot of Prince, and I thought, oh, this is a guy I need to hang out with. Oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah. That was fun. Oh yeah, it was the best. Yeah, that was 12 years ago when we met. Wow. <laughs> anyway, so Eli, mm-hmm. um, what have you been listening to lately? I've been... Listening to, um, you know, uh, well, yeah, I have kids, so I've been hearing Let It Go a lot. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Your son does a really good performance of Let It Go. F- an amazing, deeply committed performance of Let It Go. Yeah, he has a, what's what does he call his shirt that he wears? The using shirt. The using shirt. That's what I was trying to remember because I was yeah, describing it to my friends. He has a using shirt that he takes off to reveal his dress his underneath. His outfit underneath. Yeah, his, yeah. his, his, his Elsa dress. Costume, costume change. Yeah, it's really cool. It's wonderful. <laughs> and uh, and also because of the kids, I, I, there's a song called Hawaiian Roller Coaster Ride. Oh. From the Lilo and Stitch soundtrack. Oh, cool. It's delightful. Yeah. And I've been listening to Manamana a lot lately. Yeah. And Mr. Bassman from the Muppets. Yeah, which are both um, Muppet covers of yes. other songs. Other, Mis- older songs. Yeah, yeah, of older songs. Um, It's interesting, just a connection to later on, also on that Muppets record, 
is a cover of Simon Smith and his Dancing Bear. Yes. Which is a Nielsen song. That's right. It is a Nielsen song. Yeah. Nielsen. It's well, like actually, a it's, really... Nielsen did it. Nielsen wrote, did it, but oh, Randy Newman wrote it. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. It's a Newman song but and Nielsen still, covered it. That's right. That's I right. always get mixed up, you know, because those two have so much crossover with who wrote what and who covered what. Yeah. Cause, yeah. Because Nielsen did the uh, Nielsen Sings Newman yeah, album. Yeah, Nielsen Sings Newman. Yeah. And then, and then Randy, we, they were just like such good friends and so... Yeah, linked. yeah, they were bros. They were total bros. Yeah, they were total bros. Nilsson actually, we'll talk about that. Nilsson had a lot of like bro outs with like his like oh yeah with California like rock Lennon and roll pals and Ringo and yeah the Vampire Club the yeah the L A Vampires Ugh. yeah exactly Ugh. yeah bad behavior Very bad bad behavior. bad behavior guys Mickey Dolans yeah bad behavior guys uh, Mickey was all. Oh yeah, he was up in that. that too. Oh yeah, he was up in that. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, so you've been listening to you know a lot of kids' music, and then when they go to bed, yeah, then you're, I, you're putting on like early seventies like 70s Renaissance 70s prog rock. Renaissance prog rock, <laughs> and also like there's some uh, there's this great. I almost picked this for my track. There's this uh, Fleetwood Mac like right before like Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Nicks joined. Yes. There's this great song by Christine McVie called "Heroes Are Hard to Find." Yeah. I recommend people check that out because it's just oh it's killer oh awesome killer killer track and but and you brought something in on vinyl for us i did i brought i brought some hot wax uh so i brought this this album there's a a woman named annie haslam yes and she was the lead singer of a band that i don't care about at all (laughs) that's so funny called renaissance i'd like to get more into renaissance and see if i like that i tried there's there's a few tracks that i'm into yeah um but yeah, they were like like folk prog. Yeah, basically, yeah, like f- sort of which, folky instrumentation, which was a thing in the seventies. It was. There's yeah. another band called Pentangle, I think, that uh-huh. did like a similar thing. Yeah, uh, where it's like <laughs> folky instrumentation, but then they would like jam out for like twelve minutes. Sure. Um, and not really my thing. Yeah. Although there's a couple tracks of theirs that I, I enjoy. Yeah, but you definitely, I feel your aesthetic and as a songwriter, you're you're pretty economical. You're not into the wankiness, I'm you know, not so much, which is probably one of the reasons why we're pals and we're such big music buds together because, I think that's true. you know, we also, yeah, uh, we're, we're pretty anti wank on kick the jukebox in general. So, yeah. <laughs> so what's interesting about this record, this is her solo record and she was dating in the early seventies. Roy Wood from the Move, yes, and and also one of the founding members of Electric Light Orchestra. That's right. Yeah, just to give like listeners a context, Roy Woods, Roy, the Move are really interesting. I feel like the Move are pretty unknown mm-hmm. when they were just like they're one of my favorite bands from the late sixties. They uh, are, I would describe them as like pop psychedelia. Yeah, uh, totally. yeah, where their stuff is really accessible, mm-hmm. but it definitely has this very sort of surreal, uh, like drug influenced, you know, countercultural bent to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of my favorite move songs is I Can Hear the Grass Grow, which the title I think explains it all, you know. Yeah. The chorus of that is I can hear the grass grow. I see rainbows in the evening. <laughs> is that a Roy Wood song? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that he helped write that. Yeah. Um so he was in this relationship with 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 An- Annie Halstom. Yeah. Am I pronouncing that right? Haslam. Haslam. Sorry, Annie Haslam. Um, but yeah, so they were in a relationship and they decided to make this record together, the so- yeah. solo record for her. And so he produced it, he arranged it, he plays almost all the instruments on the whole thing. And he can play anything. He plays guitar, keyboards, drums, he plays he plays the cello. Yeah. So there's all these string arrangements where he's playing all of the parts. Yeah. Um, which is great. Which is great. It also, you know, he, there's there's a preciousness to it, right? There is a preciousness to it. Yeah. It's kind of an adorable record. And because it's him, it's a lot more psychedelic and poppy than her other stuff. Sure. But what's also interesting is there's the one person from Renaissance who plays on it is is their bass player John Camp, uh-huh. who is not the primary songwriter from Renaissance. Uh-huh. He, he barely had any music on their records, uh-huh. but he wrote like two or three of the songs on this, including the song that I picked. Oh, cool! It's not a Roy Wood song. Yeah. So he plays like bass and acoustic guitar on it, uh-huh. and then Roy Wood plays everything else. Should we maybe give some of it a little spin? Give yes. it a little listen. Let's oh, listen yes, to it, and then we'll talk about it a little more. Awesome. Okay, so this is called. If I were made of music, I mean, does it get any better than that? If I were made of music and it's by Annie Haslam, here it is. Uh, 
All right. That was If I Were Made of Music. Oh, my. I loved it. <laughs> so let's talk about it. Why? What made you want to bring this in? I'm very curious. Uh, I just, I've been really, I've just been listening to this song a lot lately. Yeah. And it's it's interesting because I, I feel like I just, I think I discovered this song from like a music blog like a sure. decade ago. Yeah. And I was really kind of listening to it on repeat a lot back then. Yeah. And it kind of, it just popped into my head again mm-hmm. like a few months ago. And I keep coming back to it again and again. Well, hmm, that's interesting. Why do you think now? What is it about right now that you think is drawing you to it? You know, I I, I wish I wish I could say something intellectual no. uh, about, but I can't. It's just it's such a beautiful song. I yeah. Think. Um, and there's something about it. It's one of those songs where when I heard it for the first time, there's something about it aesthetically where. It, it felt very much like, in, in a lot of ways, like of my own aesthetic. Yeah. Well, the, yeah I'd like to in, like, address cor- that. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot in the chord changes and the melody, especially in the chorus. Yeah. Which, what's really creepy to me the first time that I heard it is there's a song I wrote, I wrote like 14 or so years ago. Yeah. Where the, the bridge of the song is almost identical to the chorus of this song. Oh, that's so weird. And, but, but, the, but this is better. Like, obviously, the chorus of the song is, is better, but it's really eerily close do you remember the lyrics for the bridge of your song uh it, it's embarrassingly personal so i'm not going to sing them that is but, totally but, okay but the melody is like yeah it's really close to the melody of this well that's sort of you know we're go- i think we're going to get into this quite a lot and you know there is this is actually a good time to say people can find some of your work on you know like streaming services and i like would really recommend after listening to this episode that people seek out what you do mainly because a i think you're a great songwriter you know you're one of my big influences i know uh and then the other thing too uh, is that something that i really admire about your work is that it's very solidly theatrical which mm-hmm. I think this is as well. It is very theatrical. This yeah. could, you know, is it's like two steps away from belonging in like an Andrew Lloyd Webber style show A from the bit, era. Yeah, sure. Um, and so your work is very solidly theatrical, but also like you have a real ear for uh, pop melody and for pop progressions. And I think it's actually what makes you a stronger musical theater writer than a lot of other people who are your contemporaries working right now. Um, when I hear, you know, it, it might just be that it's more my aesthetic compared to what other people enjoy, but uh, you always have a real uh, ear towards listenability with your work. Even if something's meant to be discordant, there's uh, in your work, there's a lot of thought put behind it comparatively, I think, to a lot of other people working. And I think that that definitely has to do with your roots as an aficionado of like this type of stuff, you know? I, I think that, I mean, that actually makes a lot of sense to me because I, I think I always try to write something that is like pleasurable for me to listen to. Yeah. And I think like we like to listen to a lot of the same kind of stuff. Definitely. Like very like, you know, we're like into like very hyper melodic stuff. Very much so. With like the same kind of like there's certain like kind of chord changes that are very pleasing to us. Yeah. Um, Which this certainly has. Yeah. It's like, and the chord. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like very, and the chord changes are like, they're not like super, super simple. Like there's like, there's a richness, there's a richness to the chord changes. Yeah. That almost like classical at times. And it's like, yeah, there's, there's something I really like about that. And there's like, there's all kinds of interesting things going on in the musicianship that I like little like ear candy moments. The way I don't know if you noticed that, like the cello, like groans into her singing every time, like if I <laughs> yeah. were made of me, like I, I then you like wait for things like that, like mm-hmm. when you know they're coming. Yeah. Uh, on the chorus, the bass guitar is doing some. It's not going like dun dun dun. It's going like dun 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 It's like doing like classical counterpoint. Yeah, it's taking the melody line and doing something with it that uh, is slightly elevated. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, uh, which I think is is absolutely uh, I think what what makes it such a such a lush and interesting track. Yeah. Yeah, I just I can't get enough of it. It's like Lay's potato chips for me. Yeah, oh my god. Yeah, you know, or for the Canadians listening, um, 
all dressed, all dressed chips, which are really this is maybe the all dressed ch- uh, song of uh, of oh, the day. Are those the chips that have like all kinds of crazy stuff. On yeah, them? that are like combo salt and vinegar with barbecue. Yes, I I think I tried those the last time I was in Toronto. Yeah, they're very good. They were good. <laughs> they're excellent, and so is this song. Yeah. <laughs> Thank so, you for bringing it in. So I just wanted to ask you before we before we move on. What stuff do you have streaming? Like you, your band is, you have some stuff from your, your band on Spotify, right? That's I have on Spotify what I have. Yeah. It's, it's, it's honestly pretty limited at the moment is yeah. I have, um, I have an album that I made. Yes. When I was a younger. It's, that's it's right. It's called Lemonade. That's I was, right. Lemonade. I, I was there before Beyonce. Yes. That's right. Uh, I have, there's a, a rec- a uh, cast album of a of a musical I wrote called "The Last Song of Eddie Scourge." That's with right, my friend Mike Petri. Yeah, which is a uh, like Scrooged rock musical. It's like right? a Scrooge, yeah, it's like yeah. a Scrooge rock musical. Yeah, or Scrooged. It's not you know like yeah like a like a modern Christmas Carol. Yeah, in that sense. Yeah, uh, and uh, very soon, um, the the co op cast recording will be on Spotify. Oh, awesome! And Apple Music. It's like about time. Yeah, you know. in the next few weeks it'll be on. That's an exclusive for me. That's a Kick the Jukebox exclusive right here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and there's a bunch of other stuff that's on my website. Yeah, it's just elibolin.com, right? Dot net. Dot net. Yeah, okay. because I, I have to be confusing and different <laughs> and harder to find. Although I think if you put in dot com, it will redirect. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. yeah, just because I feel like for people that are a little less familiar with your work, they'll definitely hear the ties between the stuff we're talking about today and what you do. And I think that that's so interesting, you know, what influenced a current, you know, working artist who's, you know, I feel that your work right now, there's a, there's a modernity to it, but it's so rooted in sort of, you know, the, the music of, of like our parents' generation and, and further back from there too. That's like what we listened to. Yeah. Growing up and what we still listen to. It's just, it's who we are. So, on that note, I'm yeah. going to do a totally awkward segue. What did you bring in? Larry? So I brought in something that's way less melodic <laughs> than what you brought in. It's funny that you're like, yeah, we love melodic stuff. However, it is melodic in its own way. Um, let's listen to some of it now. This is a song by X-Ray Specs, the phenomenal 70s British punk band. And it is called Identity. All right, that is Identity by the X-Ray Specs. So th- that's the first time you've heard that, right? Yes, I wanted to be surprised by it. Okay, so now you've been shocked and surprised. I feel like it's pretty on brand for me. <laughs> yeah, that was great, actually. That that didn't strike me as, as unmelodic at all. No, I mean, it's, it's melodic in a very, very different way. And, you know, something that I really like about it is that X-Ray Specs are considered like one of the you know formative punk bands of the 70s i was gonna guess is that like 76 or 77 Mm -hmm. yep it's uh i think it's from 77 uh it's from their album uh which was called oh no i can't remember i think it's maybe called world turn Dayglow was the name of their album they're british yeah they're like around are they like of the same scene as like the the beat the english beat like you know what they actually have more of a relationship to the Sex Pistols, which is interesting. Because that was a horn section in there, right? There is a horn section in there, and that was one of the main things that really differentiated them from most other punk bands of the era, was this horn section in there. And something that I really like about it is people feel like punk music is you know always fast and aggressive mm-hmm. and simple to play but that's not really the case um, all those early punk bands had their own sound and their own attitude to them and this you know really x-ray specs came from left field and they had a huge amount of respect in their respect in their scene because they were so radically different um, and something that's like a real badge of honor is that 
John Linden has, you know, constantly brought up this band as being just like one of his favorites. And he's just like never said a bad word about them. And he says bad things about everybody. So it's kind of interesting. So so the main, you know, creative force behind X-Ray Specs is the lead singer songwriter, Polly Styrene. And she was born Marion Joan Elliott Sade. And she is very, very atypical lead uh, singer for a band. She said once, uh, if I ever become a sex symbol, I will immediately shave my head so that I will not be a sex symbol. She was a woman of color. She had braces when she was in this band. Uh, she w- w- really wanted the music to speak for itself and for her band to not become a, a cult of personality. Mm-hmm. Um, and she did end up shaving her head before a show in John Linden's apartment. <laughs> she went and like went to his flat and shaved her head and then went into the show. <laughs> um, yeah. So, oh yeah. So yeah, the war, the name of the, the name of the album was germ free adolescence. Um, and then something else about, all of uh, the work that they did as a band is that a lot of the punk bands from the era wrote lyrics that were a little more on the nose when it came to just being sort of really blatant out there criticisms of, you know, the government of the time or of society of the time. And these guys sort of took a skewed approach and almost wrote like a concept record that paints this bleak picture of this like toxic consumerist society that felt all at once kind of futuristic. And then also like clearly what you know, what was going on at the time. And I think really can speak to us now, you know? Um, I, I mean, I, I didn't really, I couldn't really absorb the, you know, like the lyrics. No, that, no. But, and I think, I think with but, her, the way she enunciates and stuff, like, the lyrics, and I'll talk a little bit about the lyrical content, but it's so much about the way that this this stu- this hits you. You know what I mean? Well, I love the sound of you know. It's interesting, like hearing it. It's like it's interesting, like the definition of like what punk is or what people think punk is. Yeah, like, I heard that, and I was I didn't think like oh this is punk music. Totally. Like I just thought of this as like like rock and roll like really good rock and roll yes which is kind of the way i think about most punk music yeah like when i listen to like the clash i don't think oh this is punk music no like the maybe the first record maybe yeah but like by the time you get to like london calling like that's not punk rock no that's that's not what i think of as punk rock that's that's straight ahead rock and roll punk is like such like a a poor it's poorly defined category it really is needs to be defined by category but like sure but like that is like it sounds like a little bit punk, like a little bit like proto ska or something. Definitely, it's like, like a little bit like just rock and. Roll. And I love the sound of it too. Like mm-hmm. there's a certain kind of sound mm-hmm. of like that era of like rock and like whatever punk or whatever you call it. Like the way like the drums and the guitar and the bass all sound. Like I feel like there's a bunch of records that sound like that. Yeah, it's that good kind of tape mix. Yeah, that, that was happening at the time. Yeah, it's yeah. really nice. It's Re- a really good sound. Recorded too. slightly quickly. But uh, but with an attention to definitely uh, on all of uh, germ free adolescence, like uh, really well balanced recording, mm-hmm. um, you know, which is also sort of there's an e- economy to it and uh, kind of a, a democratization to it as well that like. You know, I don't feel like on that record, one instrument gets prevalence over the others, you know, like mm-hmm. the horns are clearly uh, as important as the bass, as the guitar and as the drums on that track, you know, and uh, and her vocals as well. Yeah. And the horns yeah. kind of like have like a bit of a, dis- they almost sound like a, like an electric guitar, the way they're kind of like. Totally. Just a little distorted and, and muddy. Yeah. And there's a punctuation to it, you know, like, like the guitar is used, mm-hmm. you know, um, yeah, absolutely. So this song, just before we move on, uh, it's good to know, this song was actually written sort of about true events. It was inspired by uh, a member of, of the band Bromley named Tracy O'Keefe. Um, uh, polystyrene witnessed her uh, attempting to slash her wrists. Uh, and the song is uh, about... Um, you know, not being happy with yourself. Mm-hmm. And uh, the song is, is about trying on different types of, of personalities, you know, to my, that's at least my interpretation of the song and, and playing with your own identity and trying to figure out really 
what makes you you and and are you happy with that are you are you know are you unhappy with that what would drive you to do something like that um you know and it's interesting, you know, and this is like a this is a running theme with Kick the Jukebox that you know uh, Kyle and I talk about all the time is, you know, my quest to like reclaim my musical heritage as a queer guy, and uh, I don't think that Polystyrene identified as queer. Um, she had a daughter. I think that she was pretty much slept exclusively with men, but this song is like considered, and this band is definitely considered like a big influence on like. Um, you know, the GLBTQ community and what they were listening to at the time. And it totally makes sense. You know, I definitely think that there's aesthetically a lot of this that is related to like other queer punk at the time, you know, like other stuff that I've already reclaimed on the show, like the circle jerks uh, uh, or, um, or the buzzcocks, you know, who had like, you know, no, notably queer lead singers. So yeah. So I want to bring this in because it's still pride month. And uh, two weeks ago, I brought in Bill and Ted's Homosexual Adventure, which is the, you know, the my favorite song about a gay relationship ever written. Very, yes. very deep. Very special song. It's very special. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, I wanted to bring this in. Um, That's awesome. That's an awesome song. Yeah. Thank you for listening to it. Thank you for sharing it with me. So it, it, this is Kick the Jukebox on kpis.fm. Uh, I'm joined by special guest Eli Bolin. I'm Louis Perlman. Hi, Louis Perlman. Yeah, Eli's the best. And now we're going to get into our record of the week. This is Nilsson Schmilson by Harry Nilsson. Harry Nilsson? What did I say? Harry Nilsson? Harry Nilsson. Harry Nilsson. Nilsson. I am putting it on the platter right now because we're going to spin the wax on this. Spin the black circle. It is hot, melty wax. It is hot, melty wax. So... Uh, Eli. Yes, Louis. I know this is one of your faves. It you is. you introduced me to this, you know, Wait, many a year really? ago. Yeah, I mean, this definitely was something that I had knowledge of, but it wasn't anything that I um, was listening well, to regularly. And I damn. hear I hear so much of your songwriting in this record. Always when I listen he, to it, he is a massive influence on me. Yeah, so much so that you named one of your children after him. Well. Correct. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that's entirely true, but it's, it, was, it was influential on the selection. Yeah, definitely. So um, share with me, uh, why is this one so important to you? Why is this record so important to you? It's, it's, was my, it's my initial exposure to Harry Nielsen. Yeah. Sort of twinned, I guess, with The Point. Sure, which, which is, for those of you that don't know, Harry Nielsen's like children's fable yeah. uh, animated series or animated special animated slash record. S- animated special movie-ish. It was like a TV movie. Yeah, TV movie. Which he made right before this. Yes. Because um, this record is from 70, 71, and The Point also came out in 71. Yeah. But this is a massively transitional record for him, which we can get into. Yeah. Let's listen to some of the uh, album opener which is the classic Gotta Get Up. Uh, and Made we'll famous recently in, in Russian Doll. Yeah, yeah, which is interesting. Which they Very could, interesting. They could, uh, I just read they could only use it sparingly because the rights were so expensive. That yeah, they had to be selective they, about when they could and couldn't use it. Yeah, be selective about when they could and couldn't use it. So let's listen to some of Gotta Get Up. Uh, and then we're going to talk about like why this feels so transitional for him and who he was before this and who he sort of became after this record. Here we go. Here's Gotta Get Up by Harry Nielsen from Nielsen Schmielsen. Kick the jukebox on kpiz.fm, the golden stream. Okay, so that's Gotta Get Up. Oh, it's such a good track. What a killer album opener, too. Yeah, it's just it's just really, really, really good. So uh, let's talk about this. So, so let's talk about uh, Nielsen sort of overall. He was primarily, earlier on in his career, was known as a songwriter. Uh, he wrote some hits for the monkeys. He wrote, he wrote hits for the monkeys. He wrote... 
one, which is a hit for Three Dog Night. Yep, one for Three Dog Night. Yeah, which is a really good song. Great song. One is the loneliest number that you one ever is knew. The loneliest number. Yeah, I think that was probably his biggest hit, actually. Yeah. And then like there was Cuddly Toy for the Monkeys. Yeah, which and, was big for and him. And Daddy's song for the Monkeys, which was less not really a hit. But yeah, not really a hit, but a really good song. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think one was probably his biggest hit. Yeah, and. And he was also recording. He lived in Los Angeles, originally from Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. He moved out to Los Angeles. Something that runs through a lot of his songwriting is um, he, his father walked out on his family when he was like four years old. Yeah. Right? Was that, is yeah. that right? Four? Was I, he I four? don't remember if it was four or not. I don't remember what age. But yeah, yeah he was like, walked out. he was very young. And yeah. Then, and then, and then he wrote that song about it in 1941. Yeah. 1941. And then, Daddy's song is also about his yeah. relationship with his father. And I would also say that like a general distrust of like male uh, authority right. figures kind of runs through the current right. of his writing. You but know, then he also did this. He, then he walked out on his first wife and kid. Yeah. Because you know, the father becomes the son the and the son becomes, becomes the father. The son and so on. Yes. To quote um, the Superman movie, which you've never seen. Right. Well, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of those movies I haven't seen. I know. I'll get around to it when my kids are in college or when they're old enough to watch them and I can bring them over. Oh yeah. 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 That's right. <laughs> Uncle Louie's here kids. Yeah. Time to watch Christopher Reeve and Margot Kidder. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I'll join in on that. Yeah, it's going to be great. Um, but yeah, so like his his first albums, once he finally, you know, like his well, first, you know, his first albums were, um, which are great albums, are v- compared to this. Yeah. Are very like fussy in terms of like their like uh, orchestral arrangements. Yeah. Like it stacks and stacks of like elaborate vocal harmonies. He worked with this arranger named George Tipton. Yeah. Like, did these like very it's like chamber pop yeah chamber pop or almost like music hall music hall yeah yeah like uh, which was like a somewhat uh successful subgenre of like the late 60s mm-hmm. but definitely occupied like a bit of a different space than like the larger world of like 60s pop music yeah uh and then he he was sort of rocketed to fame mainly because in a famous press conference oh yeah you know it was with the beatles a press conference with the beatles they said who's your favorite american group right now someone asked them and like who was it only two of them or were all of them like nielsen it's oh, nielsen yeah. i think it was like it was either john or paul they said like who's your favorite group yeah american group and they said one of them said nielsen yeah nielsen and they said who's your favorite american solo artist and they said nielsen, nielsen yeah and that was kind of it. And then he struck up this friendship with them. Yeah. And I think their press officer, Derek Taylor, bought like a crate of his first album. Yeah. And, was, like, and like gave them away as like Christmas gifts or something like that. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Because they just loved. They, they just loved him. And they, they like just called loved him. him. John and Paul like called him up and yeah. said like how much they liked the album. Yeah. They were fans. You know, and that was that was you know, it's it's very an int- helpful. Yeah, well, yeah, as it would be for anybody, you sure. know, f- to get that Beatles stamp of approval. But it, it, it's interesting because th- his songwriting sort of zigs where like Lennon McCartney's songwriting zags. You know, like I feel like he does a lot of stuff that they would never think to do, and I think it's one of the reasons why they liked him so much. You know, wasn't there uh, a period where they were thinking of having him join? The Beatles. I, I don't think that was a real thing. Ugh. I think I think there's like a. a I, w- I wish that was a real a, thing. Uh, an apocryphal story about uh, that. Yeah, I think that would be. Yeah, I don't think there was the best. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So now and then this song is sort of a bold statement in itself, uh, because it certainly feels like a Nielsen song, for sure. However, it definitely sort of has this boldness of like intent and production that I don't feel is existent on the earlier Nielsen records. Yeah. Well, he broke, he broke ties with his whole production and arranging team and was like, I want to make a hit pop record. Yeah. Like a rock and roll record, which he never had done before. Yeah. And there's actually a demo of gotta get up made with his old production team yeah and it's much more like kind of light and flowery much more flowery yeah. does not have that driving rhythm yeah and i i, I want to say on most of his old records like he didn't he wrote the songs but he didn't play on them yeah uh he rarely played on them and on this album he he does because he's like a very uh dear to my heart uh, like primitive musician yeah and he, like on gotta get up he's is one of the f- like three or so tracks where he plays piano 
And he just bangs. Uh, am I allowed to curse on this podcast? Yes, absolutely. He bangs the shit out of that piano. Yeah. He's like, womp, 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 womp. And like, I just love that. And that's when I like, I'm, I'm a self-taught musician. Yes. So like, especially in like when I was like learning how to play the instrument and I still love to do this. It's still definitely part of my style. Just like bang on that piano. Yeah. Because he doesn't know how to do anything more complicated than that. I would say definitely as a pianist, you aren't afraid to use the piano as a percussive instrument. Yes. And it def- that's what he's doing. Yeah. And it definitely runs through what you do very much so. And I definitely think it, it, it translates to to this song as well. Um, you know, and, and we should note just just because we haven't talked about him yet. One of the main reasons why this whole album sounds the way it does is the work of Richard Perry, his yes, producer yeah, he paired next, with. Yeah. yeah, that's the next thing to talk about. Right. So Richard Perry was a big, big pop, uh, big pop um, producer who worked with Ringo. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, I think he worked with George Harrison as well. Right. In the 70s. Am I wrong about that? I'm not 100 percent sure he, he i know for sure he had hits with the pointer sisters yes he did he released in the 80s in yeah, the, he produced all those hits yeah all those songs um he worked with streisand he worked with donna summer he like worked with like big uh sort of like uh, you know these like 70s singer songwriter or you know like not sometimes not songwriters but these big like 70s vocal personalities mm-hmm. and that's sort of the way that he build nielsen when he worked with him yeah. and that was a change for nielsen yeah, and, yeah. If, and if you there's a documentary that i feel like everybody should watch yeah it's so, really good seen it? yeah it's everybody's like, talking nielsen, nielsen and why is everybody talking about, about him? him yeah it's, it's this, just it's a really good music documentary it's really entertaining and the section on this album is fascinating yeah because basically like richard perry had to like drag this album out of him yeah like it was a very difficult process because yeah like he would show up at the studio and like not have any lyrics for the songs yeah and like he would he would like write them at the last second right before singing them he was sort of weirdly self-destructive you know oh absolutely he was yeah it's like it's like when you hear like how this album was made it's like amazing that it's as good as it is yeah because it was it was i think it was like not a an easy easy i think it was like drove richard perry crazy yeah but in the end it was like he was like so proud of they were both you know richard perry's like i looks like one of the best things i've ever made yeah, and it is one of the best things he it ever is. made. It's just like such a complete piece of work, you know. And, and that's something about Kick the Jukebox is we only like scratch the surface. You know, we talk about three songs from the album. We try to do things that are uh, representative of the album and sort of give you a flavor. But there's so many different types of songs on this record. It's just worth noting. Like yeah. this is the record that Harry Nilsson wrote "Lime and the Coconut" for, this which is, is amazing. Such a fa- now famous, uh, well-known, uh, not you know, novelty song. Uh, but it is so entertaining and also like, you know, it's him dipping his toes into you know calypso rhythms and, and, and it idioms. Only has one chord that song. Which yeah, is, which was I think the intent was he wanted to write a song with one chord. Yeah, and succeeded. Yeah, it's and it's a gorgeous song. Like it's really really fun. Um, mm-hmm. some other like really good tracks from this. I'm just gonna like look at the sleeve here just to like sort of talk about some of the ones, it, like released as um b-side for gotta get up was the moonbeam song that song is beautiful it's just gorgeous yeah um like his sense of humor is like it's a beautiful song about a moonbeam mm-hmm. and then in the middle of it he sings like on a fence with bits of crap around the bottom mm-hmm. and just like makes it so like it can't be like uh he won't let anything be like too pretty yeah yeah or or like driving along as well which is the second song yeah. on the album that that one feels actually almost like a like uh lost track from um from the point there's something about that that i feel Uh has a real tied in idiom you know that's sort of it's sort of this like it's this like nice um meditative song about like sort of the lives of people Mm -hmm. you know which he was good at i think he was really insightful when it came to the human condition uh and then you know let's talk about another song we're gonna play and listen to jump into the fire where he, I think it was a statement on his part that he could rock. Yeah. And that's something that we hadn't really heard from him before this track. Uh, and then it just sort of, like this song sort of is like an explosion on the album. Uh, so let's listen to a little bit of it. This is uh, <laughs> Jump Into the Fire by Harry Nielsen from his release Nielsen Schmielsen, one of the best albums of all time. Here on Kick the Jukebox, kpiss.fm. (laughs) 
Oh man. I love how he's tooting the bass right there. Yeah, well at the at the end of it, at the very end of it, he uh the bass player uh during like the big, big breakdown, he tunes the bass down while he's playing it. Oh that's oh that's later. That's not Yeah, it's a little late it's a little later on. His name's uh Herbie Flowers was the bassist. Uh, and he thought that the the song was going to fade out before that, and they used it. And uh, and oh, to much right. effect, you know, that's the thing is that there's actually a lot of like wild experimentation going on on this record. Mm. That's something we didn't talk about with "Gotta Get Up," but it's worth mentioning is that all those like strange, there's a lot of strange piano crescendos at the end of that song. Oh yeah, yeah, and those weren't originally in the song. Those resulted in the fact that they recorded that song sort of an obsessive amount of times Mm -hmm. and they were going kind of bananas and they decided to use that energy in the song and then uh nielsen got really um improvisational with his um with his piano playing at the you know during later uh, yeah during later takes so this one is definitely one of his hardest rocking tracks for sure and it uh it feels like a i feel like it feels like an era appropriate or maybe like slightly earlier like rolling stones track yeah. you know i mean it, what it's it sounds like it was built me and feel like maybe it was and i'm remembering this like it sounds like it was built out of a jam almost yeah yeah definitely uh it feels like pretty improvisational i don't know if it was built out of a jam or not uh also it has on it Overdubbed later, this is just kind of fun for music geeks like us. You know, Klaus Vormann did a rhythm guitar overdub on this. Yeah, which he is known mostly as, as a bass player. That's correct. Like he plays at the bass on Gotta Get Up. That's correct. He does. Yeah, and he, for our listeners that don't know who he is, is a musician who did a lot of work with Beatles solo projects. They used him a lot. He's a session musician. And he was a friend of theirs in Hamburg when they were just starting out. That's right. He drew the cover for Revolver. That's correct. Yeah. So he has an interesting tie-in with sort of the visual visual music history and yeah. like audio music history. And he had... A hit later on, right? He had not on his own. Not on his no, own. He, he played famously played the bass on "You're So Vain" by Carly. That's Simon. correct. He does yeah. that really cool thing at the beginning where it goes like, yeah, that's and right. she goes like, she she I forget what she says, but she's like, oh my god, yeah. Like you hear like whisper something at the beginning, yeah. She can't believe the cool thing he just did, yeah. And, and then they she, kept it, and then she kicks into the song, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so this one. Uh, is definitely a bit of an outlier in in Nielsen's catalog. Yeah. I think it's also one chord. Is it? Yeah. It just does that the whole time. That is. That's really. That's interesting. I'd like to look in. I feel like it's two chords. Because it has that portion to it, right? That's oh, and then the bass line is what shapes it. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Well, chord baby. Well, you would know, baby. <laughs> so yeah, this one I want to talk about be- because it's an outlier, uh, and also this ended up charting for them as well. This was the second single from the album, and it definitely established him as like a you know a rock a viable rock personality yeah um which is really really cool um and uh the in in the atlantic uh james parker the the music critic called it um livid dragon bones funk wow (laughs) which i just feel is worth mentioning and it, it is and it does have like kind of a funk feel to it but very sparse and pared down right yeah you know like it's like the least elaborate funk but it almost like predates kind of that like sparse new wave funk that i like so much from like i would say you know like the b-52s or like the no wave movement Mm -hmm. bush tetris Mm -hmm. um that kind of stuff i feel like there's definitely you can draw a line between that song and uh uh, those you know the songs I just mentioned um, in its like kind of intensity and in its simplicity and and in its also in its danceability too yeah yeah it's definitely very danceable yeah which is cool yeah and it, the band just like sits in that groove so it's it that you really just get to like focus on the vocal and he's just like yeah, he's all over the place the mad. vocal he's descending into like lustful madness yeah yeah he 
could he always delivered his vocals with like such a purpose and an, and an intensity, which is really cool. Um, not and he expressed a wide range of emotions already. Got to get up in this. You know, there's a big difference uh, in sort of the intention of the songs and and the theatricality of the vocals. I think is really there, and I think it goes really well into our last track we're going to play today. Um, which is his cover of uh, Without You. Yes. Yeah. So let's talk about it a little bit. Um, th- and th- this is like very mournful and uh, and lo- there's a longingness to it. Yeah. And it's a cover of a Badfinger song. Yeah, which I didn't know about until you know much, much later in my life. Because th- this or... It feels like he wrote it. Like it feels yeah. like, a N- like a Nielsen song. I mean, yeah. I mean, he, he made it his. Yeah, very this, much no so. No one would know this song. If it wasn't for him, because it was just like an album track, I think, for Badfinger. That's correct, and it, yeah, it, and it wasn't a particular version of it. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's, it's, it's um, much more, um, you know, this song. The way Nielsen recorded it, it is like a real like power ballad, like a, and yeah. and then later when Celine Dion famously recorded it and did very well with it as well, it is like feel has a very modern feel to it like it feels like it could have been written in the 90s you know um but the original version is much more kind of sparse and like uh uh less um you know just the 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 melodic phrases are like less drawn out mm-hmm. i would say um it almost feels more power poppy yeah you know i, mean, I, I love badfinger yeah badfinger's have, great yeah no dissing badfinger yeah but i have to say i do not like the original version of this song well you Especially know the chorus they, do, they cannot hit those notes. That's it's like, true. I can't live. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, I, I do not think it's a good, it was produced very poorly. Well, here's, sure. here's an interesting, well, they didn't, they, they felt like it was a throwaway song. Yeah, I think they did. They didn't see the validity in it. And that happens sometimes when you're too close to your work. Yeah. And I feel like we can both relate to this is you write something that you think is the most wonderful thing that you've ever written and it doesn't hit people the right way. And you write something that you don't really care about. And for some reason, it really strikes a chord through someone else's ears, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that that's so much part about being a songwriter, you know, and just being a creator in general is you really don't know what's going to land. Yeah, it's it's really interesting how um, I don't know if it was Nielsen or if it was I think it might have been Richard Perry. Yeah. Who fa- who took the song and brought it to the table. Yeah. Because I, I would not have heard that Badfinger version of the song and conceived of what they did with it uh, for uh, Nielsen. Apparently Nielsen heard it at a party oh. and because it was quiet, you know, and like it was just over the chat over the party, he thought it was a Beatles song. And then when he realized that it was not a Beatles song, that's when he made the choice to cover it. That's because, fascinating. Yes, because he didn't want to. And yeah, there's definitely, and um, I think what did McCartney uh, McCartney called this song the the Badfinger version, uh, and then later on the other versions, because McCartney's a big fan of this song, which is not a surprise. I think he called it like the mother of all ballads or something like that. And it's true. It's just like, re- you know, that the chorus, you know, I can't live if living is without you. Like, what? what are, there's no better, in my opinion, in like pop songwriting history, a better like explanation of what love is or why love is so powerful. Yeah. You know, like the relationships like that, they literally make you live. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the difference between life and death. But it's, it's also so great to like, if you compare the two versions, like the arrangement. And again, this is like, you know, like the brilliance of Richard Perry. For sure. Like, yeah. As you, like when you listen to gotta get up and you hear the piano, but then you hear like the instruments as they layer on. Yeah. Like the accordion, the horn section, like the, it's so brilliant. Yeah. The way it, this, it becomes like rich the way it does. Yeah. And like this, like the, like the, the bad finger version is very much like, like noodly electric guitar and the bass. And like, there's no piano in it at all. Yeah. And like, there's a very specific, ri- very crafted piano part for this, like the da 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 and it really honestly, shapes it the song. Like, it sounds like almost like Marvin Hamlish. It's like yeah. very theatrical, almost musical theater. Yeah, and um, well, I think you know this is why you like this record so much. Yeah, is this really is so informative for someone writing for theater. Well, I'm looking at the the musicians. The piano on this is played by Gary Wright. Yes, that's right. Who later became famous with his own song Dreamweaver. That's right, and he also 
also worked with Badfinger as well, mm-hmm. I learned. Oh. Yeah. And so before we hear the song and we sign off, you know, this has been amazing. We'll, yeah, I we'll, love this. I know. This I was, wish we could do a whole other hour. I know. Maybe we'll have to have you back and we'll do like a mega episode and we'll do it about something really silly, you know, <laughs> instead of something so serious like Nielsen, which is like so, you know, near and dear to our hearts. Um, uh, but, you know, this song... Um, you know, the writers, uh, uh, Pete Ham and and Tom Tom Evans, Evans, this song, um, destroyed Tom Evans, you know, and we should talk about that. They didn't write this with any intention of it becoming one of their signature songs. And then later on rights issues and royalty issues regarding this song, resulted in him being so despondent it was specifically over this song that he he hung himself did you know that i didn't know specifically it was this song song. it was related to this song which is such a sad uh you know it's such a sad uh uh aspect to this song but you know sometimes you write something that's just more powerful than yourself and it's sort of i think it sort of just really upended his life in a way that he he couldn't deal with and, uh, you know, he wrote this beautiful song that he didn't really think was much of anything. That's insane. Eli, this has been a pleasure. <laughs> it's been a tremendous pleasure for me as well. It's been so nice. This is Kick the Jukebox on KPIS.FM. I'm your regular host, Louis Perlman. I'm joined by special guest host, Eli Bolin. Don't forget to review this. Give it a five-star rating on iTunes or the church of your choice. Yeah, the church of your choice. Yeah, bring it into church. That's what I want you to do. <laughs> and tell your friends. Subscribe, rate, review, and it's just... just love this podcast and get it out in the world yeah yeah absolutely um so yeah let's close it off let's listen to without you by harry nielsen from his record nielsen schmielsen uh on kick the jukebox kpiss.fm Talking about music all the time.